This is just going to be a solo episode today. I'm going on vacation, so I'm recording this one a week early just so we can uh, get an episode out for you guys. So just talk about a little bit of business first. Um, we just passed, as of today, we have 22,506 downloads, which is pretty crazy. That's my dog. She's going wild. Um, yeah, so 22,500 downloads. That's insane. Uh, we're in 70 countries, pretty wild. And yeah, so thank you everybody for listening, uh, continuing to listen, telling your friends, telling your mom, she'll love it. Tell her, tell your dad, he might not like it as much, but maybe who knows? Um, yeah, so, and then I'm just going to talk about the website a little bit. So our website is, um, mistressyourpodcast.com. We have all kinds of merch up there. We have, um, shirts, hoodies, blankets, a clock, a clock that says it's time for a mystery, which is pretty awesome. Um, there's a shirt that says that as well. And we also have a shirt that's been selling pretty well. It's, uh, it says true crime till I die. And it shows a bunch of bones, the skeleton in a, uh, a cooler full of beer. So it's pretty cool. Just beer and uh crime. Who doesn't love it? And from there we have all of our, we also have all of our, um, episodes. We have a whole episode library. And then there's also links to our Discord. So we started a Discord just as a way for us to uh, communicate with our listeners and then a way for our listeners to communicate with each other as well. We, Since we started, we've kind of wanted that um, little community aspect of it so where like-minded people can get together and discuss things and uh, maybe even say what they want to hear. We love doing what you... We just did... Um, uh, the two forests, and that was a listener suggestion. So it's cool to hear things that we don't know about and then get to go research them and then do an episode about them. So yeah, we'll, uh, go over there and tell us what you want to hear. And then another link we have on our website is our Patreon, which is, we have two tiers. So the first tier is $2 a month, and that will get you next week's episode right now. And then it will also get you... Uh, a 10% discount code to our online store. And the second tier is a, it's $5 a month. It'll get you next week's episode. Now a 20% discount code to the store and then a bonus episode every single Friday. And then that also will get you every episode we've done in the past. So there's, I believe there's 20, 22, I believe, um, previous, uh, Patreon exclusive episodes. So you'll get access to all those immediately. Uh, when becoming a patron. So thank you all to have become patrons. We really appreciate it. It's just a way to support the show so we can get better software, better microphones, stuff like that, and make it better for you guys. So we really appreciate it. So today I'm going to be talking about the Stanford Prison Experiment, which I'm not sure how many of you know about. This is something I definitely wasn't too um, knowledgeable of, but I think it's really interesting when you stop and uh, read about it. But like today is probably going to be a bit of a shorter episode just because it's me. I apologize, but I'm not very good at talking to myself. There's some people that can talk to themselves for hours, and I am not one of them. Um, but I apologize. You get what you get. 
This is it. Sorry to disappoint. But all right, let's get into it. So the Stanford Prison Experiment was a social psychology experiment that attempted to investigate the psychological effects of perceived power, focusing on the struggle between prisoners and prison officers. It was conducted at Stanford University on the days of August 15th through August 21st, 1971, by a research group led by Professor Philip Zimbardo, using college students. In the study, volunteers were assigned to be either guards or prisoners by the flip of a coin in a mock prison, with Zimbardo himself serving as the superintendent. Several prisoners, quote-unquote, left mid-experiment, and the whole experiment was abandoned after six days. Early reports on experimental results claim that the students quickly embraced their assigned roles, with some guards enforcing authoritarian measures uh, and ultimately subjecting some prisoners, prisoners to psychological torture. While many prisoners passively accepted psychological abuse and the officer's request, um, actively harassed other prisoners who tried to stop it. The experiment has been described in many uh, introductory social psychology textbooks, although some have chosen to exclude it because the methodology is sometimes questioned. The U.S. Office of Naval Research funded the experiment as an investigation into the causes of difficulties between guards and prisoners in the United States Navy and United States Marine Corps. Certain portions of it were filmed, and excerpts of footage are publicly available. The experiment's finding have been called into question, and the experiment has been criticized for unscientific methodology. Although Zimbardo interpreted the experiment as having shown the prison guards instinctively embraced sadistic and authoritarian behaviors, Zimbardo actually instructed the guards to exert psychological control over the prisoners. Critics also noted that some of the participants behaved in a way that would put that, or that would help the study. I'm sorry, so that as one guard later put it, the researchers would have something to work with, and that's in quotes, which is known as demand characteristics. Variants of the experiment have been performed by other researchers, but none of these attempts have replicated the results of the Stanford Prison Experiment. So let's talk about uh, Zimbardo's goals. The official website of the Stanford Prison Experiment describes the experiment goal as follows. In quotes, we wanted to see what the psychological effects were of becoming a prisoner or prison guard. To do this, we decided to set up a simulated prison and then carefully note the effects of this institution on the behavior of those within its walls. Unquote. A 1997 article from the Stanford News Service described the experiment goals in a more detailed way. In quotes, Zimbardo's primary reason for conducting the experiment was to focus on the power of roles, rules, symbols, group identity, and situational validation of behavior that generally would repulse ordinary individuals. I had been conducting research for some years on de-individualization, vandalism, and dehumanization that illustrated the ease with which ordinary people could be led to engage in um, antisocial acts by putting them in situations where they felt anonymous or they could perceive uh, of others in what ways made them feel less than human as enemies or objects. Zimbardo told the Toronto Symposium in the summer of 1996. All right, so now on to the experimental method. Male participants were recruited, and they were told they would be participating in a two-week prison simulation. The team selected the 24 applicants whose test results predicted they would be the most uh, psychologically stable and healthy. These participants were predominantly white and a middle class, 
The group was intentionally selected to exclude those with criminal backgrounds, psychological impairments, or medical problems. They all agreed to participate in a 7-14 to day period and receive $15 a day, roughly equivalent to $95 in today's money. The experiment was conducted in a 35-foot section um, of the basement of Jordan Hall, which is Stanford Psychology Building. The prison had two fabricated walls, one at the entrance and one at the cell wall block observation. Each cell was 6 by 9 foot, contained only a cot for the prisoners. Uh, prisoners were confined 24 hours a day. In contrast, guards lived, lived in a very different environment. Separated from the prisoners, they were given rest and relaxation areas and other comforts. 12 of the 24 participants were assigned the role of prisoner, 9 plus 3 potential substitutes, while the other 12 were assigned the role of guard, also 9 plus 3 potential substitutes. Zimbardo took on the role of superintendent and undergraduate research. T- wow, I'm sorry, that was a tongue twister. <laughs> and an undergraduate research assistant took the role of warden. Zimbardo designed the experiment in order to induce disorientation, depersonalization, and deindividualization in the participants. The research held an orientation session for the guards, or the researchers held an orientation session for the guards the day before the experiment during which the guards were instructed to not harm the prisoners physically or withhold food or drink. In the footage of the study, Zimbardo can be seen talking to the guards. He said, You can create in the prisoners feelings of boredom, a sense of fear to some degree. You can create the notion of arbitrariness, uh, that their life is totally controlled by us, by the system, you, me, and they'll have no privacy. We're going to take away their individuality in various ways. In general, what all this leads to is a sense of powerlessness. That is, in this situation, we'll have all the power and they'll have none. Unquote. The researchers provided the guys with wooden batons and a, their established status, clothing similar to an actual prison guard, uh, khaki shirts and pants from a lo- local military surplus store, and mirrored sunglasses to prevent eye contact. Prisoners were uncomfortable, uh, wore uncomfortable, ill-fitting smocks and stocking caps, as well as a chain around one ankle. Guards were instructed to call prisoners by their assigned numbers sewn on the uniforms instead of their names. Prisoners were, quote-unquote, arrested at their homes and charged with armed robbery. The local Palo Alto Police Department assisted Zimbardo with simulated arrests and conducted full booking procedures on the prisoners, which included fingerprinting and taking mugshots. The prisoners were then transported to the mock prison from the police station, where they were strip-searched and given their new identities. The small mock prison cells were set up to hold three prisoners each. There's a small corridor for the prison yard, a closet for solitary confinement, and a bigger room across from the prisoners for the guards and warden. The prisoners were to stay in their cells and the yard all day um, and night until the end of the study. The guards worked in teams of three for eight-hour shifts. The guards were not required to stay on site after their shift. Guards had differing responses to their new roles, One described by Stanford Magazine as the most abusive guard felt his aggressive behavior was helping experimenters to get what they wanted. Another who had joined the experiment, hoping to be selected as a prisoner, instead recalls, I brought joints with me, and every day I wanted to give them to the prisoners. I looked at their faces and saw how they were being despirited, and I felt sorry for them. Um, The warden, David Jaffe, interviewed to change his... um, or intervene, I'm sorry, to change his guard's behavior, encouraging him to participate more and become more tough. So here are the results. After a relatively uneventful first day, on the second day, the prisoners in cell block one 
blockaded their cell door with their beds and took off their stocking caps, refusing to come out or follow the guards' instructions. Guards from other shifts volunteered to work extra hours to assist in subduing the revolt and subsequently attacked the prisoners with fire extinguishers without being supervised by the research staff. Finding that handling nine cellmates with only three guards per shift was challenging, one of the guards suggested that they use psychological tactics to control them. They set up a privileged cell in which prisoners who were not involved in the riot were treated with special rewards, such as higher quality meals. Um, the privileged inmates chose not to eat the meal in commiseration with their fellow prisoners. After only 35 hours, one prisoner began to act crazy, as Zimbardo described. Number 8612 then began to act crazy, to scream, to curse, to go into a rage that seemed to be out of control. It took quite a while before he became convinced that he was really suffering and that we had to release him. Guards forced uh, the prisoners to repeat their assigned numbers to reinforce the idea that this was their new identity. Guards used their prisoner counts to harass prisoners, using psychological punishment as a protracted exercise for errors in the prison count. Sanitary conditions declined rapidly, exacerbated by the guards' refusal to allow the prisoners to urinate or defecate anywhere but in the bucket placed in their cell. As punishment, the guards would not let the prisoners empty the sanitation bucket. Mattresses were a valued item in the prison, so the, mat- er, the guards would punish prisoners by removing their mattresses, by leaving them, uh, or leaving them to sleep on the concrete. Some prisoners were forced to be naked as a method of degradation. Several guards became increasingly cruel as the experiment continued. Experimenters reported that approximately one-third of the guards exhibited genuine sadistic tendencies. Most of the guards were upset when the experiment was halted after only six days. Zimbardo mentions his own absorption in the experiment. On the fourth day, some of the guards stated that they heard a rumor that the released prisoner was going to come back with his friends to free the remaining inmates. Zimbardo and the guards disassembled uh, the prison and moved it into a different floor of the building. Zimbardo himself waited in the basement in case the released prisoner showed up and planned to tell him that the experiment had been terminated. The released prisoner never returned, and the prison was rebuilt in the basement. Zimbardo argued argued that the prisoners had internalized their roles. Since they had stated that they would accept parole, even if it meant forfeiting their pay, despite the fact that quitting would have achieved the same result without the delay involved in waiting for their parole request to be granted or denied. Zimbardo argued that they had no reasoning, um, no reason for continued participation in the experiment after having lost all monetary compensation, yet they did, because they had internalized their prisoner identity. Prisoner number 416, a newly admitted standby prisoner, expressed concern about the treatment of the other prisoners. The guards responded with more abuse. When he refused to eat his sausages, saying he was on a hunger strike, guards confined him to solitary confinement, a dark closet. The guards then instructed the other prisoners to repeatedly punch the door while shouting at 416. The guards said he would be released from solitary confinement only if the prisoners gave up their blankets and slept on bare mattresses. All but one refused to do so. Zimbardo aborted the experiment when Christina Maslach, a graduate student in the psychology department whom he was dating and later married, objected the conditions of the experiment after she was introduced to the experiment uh, to conduct interviews. Zimbardo noted that of more than the 50 people who had observed the experiment, Maslach was the only one who questioned its morality. After six days of a planned two-week duration, the experiment was discontinued. So here are the conclusions. 
On August 20th, 1971, Zimbardo announced the end of the experiment to the participants. According to Zimbardo's interpretation of the Stanford Prison Experiment, it demonstrated that the simulated prison situation, rather than individuals' personality traits, caused the participants' behavior. Using this uh, situational attribution, the results were uh, compatible with those of the Milgram Experiment, where random participants compiled with with orders to administer seemingly dangerous and potential lethal electric shocks to a shill. The experiment has also been used to illustrate cognitive dissonance theory and the power of authority. Participants' behavior may have been shaped by knowing that they were watched, uh, also known as the Hawthorne effect. Instead of being restrained by fear of an observer, guards may have behaved more aggressively when supervisors were observing them and did not step in to restrain them. Zimbardo instructed the guards before the experiment to disrespect the prisoners in various ways. Um, For example, they had to refer to the prisoners by number rather than a name. This, according to Zimbardo, was intended to diminish the prisoners' individuality. With no control, prisoners learned that they had little effect on what happened to them, ultimately causing them to stop responding and give up. Quick to realize that the guards were the highest in the hierarchy, prisoners began to accept their roles as less than important human beings. One result of the study is that it altered the way U.S. prisons are run. For example, juveniles accused of federal crimes are no longer housed before trial with with adult prisoners due to risk of violence against them. Shortly after the study was completed, there were bloody revolts uh, at the San Quentin and Attica prison facilities, and Zimbardo reported his findings on the experiment to the U.S. House uh, Committee on the Judiciary. So, criticism and response. There has been controversy over the... Um, Over the ethics and scientific rigor of the Stanford prison experiment since nearly the beginning and has never uh, been successfully replicated, French academic and filmmaker Thibault Le Tachir, in a 2018 book about the experiment, uh, this is French as fuck, so Historie d'un Messnage, I think that's how you say it, it translates to a story of a lie, wrote that it could be, or it could not be, meaningfully described as an experiment and that there are no real results to speak of. In response to criticism of his methodology, Zimbardo himself agreed that the SPE, uh, or Stanford Prison Experiment, was more of a demonstration than a scientific experiment. From the beginning, I have said it's a demonstration. The only thing that makes it an experiment is the random assignment to prisoners and guards. Um, That's the independent variable. There's no control group. There's no comparison group. So, if it doesn't fit the standards of what it means to be an experiment, it's a very powerful demonstration of psychological phenomenon, and it, it has to take relevance. In 2018, in response to criticism by Le Tichir and others, Philip Zimbardo wrote a detailed rebuttal on his website. His summary, uh, In his summary, he wrote, I hereby assert that None of these criticisms present any substantial evidence that alters the SPE's main conclusion concerning the importance of understanding how systemic and situational forces can operate to influence individual behavior in negative or positive directions, often without our personal awareness. The SPE's core message is not that a psychological simulation of prison life is the same as the real thing, or that prisoners and guards um, or even usually behave the way that they did in the SPE, Rather, the SPE serves as a cautionary tale of what might happen to any of us if we underestimate the extent to which the power of social roles and external pressures can influence our actions. 
In turn, Leutacher published a peer-reviewed article which used videos, recordings, and notes from the experiment in Stanford University archives to argue that, in quotes, the guards knew what results the experiment was supposed to produce. Far from reaching spontaneously to this pathogenic social environment, the guards were given clear instructions for how to create it. The experimenters intervened directly in the experiment, either to give precise instructions to recall the purposes of the experiment or to set a general direction. In order to get their full participation, Zimbardo intended to make the guards believe that they were his research assistants, unquote. Since this English-language publication, the debate has returned to the media in the United States. So here is a little bit about the treatment of prisoners. Some of the guards' behavior allegedly led to dangerous and psychologically damaging situations, according to Zimbardo's report. One-third of the guards were judged to have exhibited genuine sadistic tendencies, while many prisoners were emotionally traumatized, um, and three of them had had to be removed from the experiment early. Zimbardo concluded that both prisoners and guards had become deeply absorbed in their roles and realized that he had to like he had likewise become as deeply absorbed in his own. And then that's when he terminated the experiment. Ethical concerns surrounding the experiment often draw comparisons to the similarly controversial experiment by Stanley Milgram conducted 10 years earlier in 1960 at university, which studied obedience to authority. With the treatment that the guards were giving the prisoners, the guards would become so deeply absorbed into the role that they would emotionally, physically, and mentally humiliate the prisoners. In quotes, each prisoner was systemically searched and stripped naked and then deloused with a spray to convey belief that they, might have, they may have germs or lice. Real male prisoners don't wear dresses, but real male prisoner, real male prisoners don't wear dresses, but real male prisoners do feel humiliated and de-emasculated. Our goal was to produce similar effects quickly by putting men in a dress without any underclothes. Indeed, as soon as some of our prisoners were put in these uniforms, they began to walk and sit differently and hold themselves differently, more like a woman than a man. These guards had taken their role seriously. When when Zimbardo had assigned them their role, the prisoners were stripped from their identity of who they were from the outside world, given ID numbers, and were only referred to their... Wow. Referred to by their numbers. The paper reports a quote from a prisoner suggesting that this was effective. They said, I began to feel I was losing my identity. So, reliance and anecdotal evidence. Because of the nature of the experiment, Zimbardo found it impossible to keep traditional scientific controls in place. He was unable to remain a neutral observer since he, he, was influenced, uh, he influenced the direction of the experiment as the prisoner's superintendent. Conclusions and observations drawn by the experimenters were largely subjective and anecdotal. And the experiment is practically impossible for other researchers to accurately reproduce. Um, Eric Fromm claimed to see generalizations in the experiment's result and argued that the personality of an individual does not affect behavior when imprisoned. This ran um, counter to the study's conclusion that the prisoner situation itself controls the individual's behavior. Fromm also argued that the amount of sadism in the normal subjects could not be determined with the methods employed to screen them. So, coaching of the guards. Carlo Prescott, uh, who was Zimbardo's prison consultant, 
during the experiment by virtue of having served 17 years in San Quentin for attempted murder, spoke out against the experiment publicly in a 2005 article that he contributed to um, for the Stanford Daily. He, after he had read about the various ways in which Zimbardo and others used the experiment um, to explain atrocities that had taken place in real prisons, in that article entitled The Lie of the Stanford Prison Experiment, Prescott wrote, in quotes, Ideas of such bags being placed over their heads um, of prisoners, inmates being bound together with chains, and buckets being used in place of toilets in their cells were all experiences of mine at the old Spanish jail section of San Quentin, in which I dutifully shared with the Stanford Prison Experiment Brain Trust months before the experiment started. To allege that all these carefully tested, psychologically solid, upper-middle-class Caucasian guards dream this up um, on their own is absurd. How can Zimbardo and, by proxy, Maverick Entertainment express horror at the behavior of the guards when they, they were merely doing what Zimbardo and others, myself included, encouraged them to do and the outset uh, or frankly established as ground rules? Like Zimbardo, Prescott has spoken before Congress on issues on prison reform. Zimbardo, in his 2018 response, wrote that, Though Prescott attached his name in the article, it was in fact written by Hollywood reporter and producer, or writer and producer, I'm sorry, Michael Lazarow. I probably said that way wrong. Lazarow? Lazarow? That sounds better. Who he had successfully tried, um, who had unsuccessfully tried to get film rights to the Stanford Prison Experiment story. When he was turned down, um, he began to publicly criticize it. In 2018, digitized recordings available on the official SPE website were widely discussed, particularly one where prison warden David Jaff tried to influence the behavior of one of the guards by encouraging him to participate more and uh, to be more and more tough for the benefit of the experiment. In his 2018 response, Zimbardo wrote that the instructions given um, that they gave to the guards were mild compared to the pressure exerted by actual wardens and uh, superior officers in real-life prisons and military settings, where guards failing to uh, participate fully face uh, disciplinary actions, demotion, and dismissal. So here are some of the implied demands by Zimbardo. The The study was criticized in 2013 for demand characteristics by psychologist Peter Gray, who argued that the participants in the psychological experiments are more likely to do what they believe the researchers want them to do, and specifically in the case of the Stanford Prison Experiment, uh, in quotes, to act out their stereotyped views of what prisoners and guards do, unquote. Grace st- stated that he did not include the experiment in his introductory textbook, Psychology, just because he thought it lacked scientific rigor. Um, John Wayne, the real-life David Eshelman, one of the guards in the experiment, said that he caused escalation of events between guards and prisoners after he began to emulate a character from the 1967 film Cool Hand Luke. He further intensified his actions because he was nicknamed John Wayne by other participants, even though he was trying to mimic actor Stroker Martin, Strother Martin, um, who played the role of the sadistic prison captain in the movie. As he described it, in quotes, What came over me was not an accident. It was planned. I set out a definite plan in my mind and tried to force the action, force something to happen, so that the researchers would have something to work with. After all, what could they possibly learn from guys sitting around like it was a country club? So I consciously treated, uh, created this persona. It was all kinds of drama 
productions in high school and college, it was something I was very familiar with, to take on another personality before you step out on stage. I was kind of running an experiment on my own in there by saying, how far can I push these things, and how much abuse will these people take before they say knock it off? Uh, But the other guards didn't stop me. They seemed to join in. They were taking my lead. Not a single guard said, I don't think we should do this. Unquote. In his 2018 rebuttal, Zimbardo wrote that Eshelman's actions had gone far beyond um, simply playing the role of a tough guard, and that his and other guards' acts, given um, their striking parallels with real-world prison atrocities, tell us something important about human nature. So here's the interpretation of the outcome. Two students from the prisoners' group left the experiments days before it was terminated on the sixth day. Douglas Corpy was the first to leave. After 36 hours, he had a seeming mental breakdown in which he yelled, Jesus Christ, I'm burning up inside, and I can't stand another night. I just can't take it anymore. His outburst was captured by a camera and has become, in one commentator's words, a defining moment of the study. In a 2017 interview, Corpy stated that his mental breakdown had been fake, and they only did it so he could leave and return to studying. He had originally thought that he would... He could study while imprisoned, but the prison staff would not allow him. Zimbardo later stated that participants um, only had to state the phrase, I quit the experiment, in order to leave. But the transcripts from the taped conversation between Zimbardo and his staff show him stating, there are only two conditions in which he can leave, medical help or psychiatric. In the 2017 interview, Corpy expressed that he expressed regret that he had not filed a false imprisonment charge at the time. In his 2018 rebuttal, Zimbardo noted that Corpy's description of his actions had changed several times before the 2017 interview, and that in Zimbardo's 1992 documentary, Quiet Rage, Corpy had stated that the experiment was the most upsetting experiment of his life. Critics contend that this was not... um, Critics contend that not only the sample size was too small for extrapolation, but also having... All of the experimental subjects be U.S. male students gravely undercut the experiment's val- uh, validity. In other words, it was not conceivable that replicating the experiment using a diverse group of people with different or objective views of life would have produced radically distinct results. The researchers from Western Kentucky University argue that the selection bias may have played a role in the results. The researchers recruited um, students for a study using a, an advertisement similar to one that you they used in the Stanford Prison Experiment, with some ads saying a psychological study, the control group, and with some words, um, prison life, or with the words prison life, I'm sorry, as originally worded in Dr. Zimbardo's experiment. It was found that the students who responded to the classified advertisement for prison life were high, higher in traits such as Sokol, wow, Sokol, social, <laughs> Uh, higher in traits such as social dominance, aggression, authoritarianism, uh, etc., and were lower in traits related to empathy and altruism when compared to the control group participants. So let's talk about the ethical issues. The experiment was perceived by many to involve questionable ethics, the most serious concern being that it was continued even after participants expressed their desire to withdraw. Despite the fact that participants were told they had the right to leave at any time, Zimbardo did not allow this. Since the time of the prison or the Stanford Prison Experiment, ethical guidelines have been established for experiments involving human subjects. The Stanford Prison Experiment led to the imp, uh, implementation of rules to pre- preclude any harmful treatments of participants, 
before they're implemented, human studies must see how or must now be reviewed and found by an in, institutional review board uh, or ethics committee to be in accordance with ethical guidelines set by the American Psychological Association. These guidelines involve the consideration of whether the potential benefit or there is a potential benefit to science outweighs the possible risk for physical and psychological harm. A post-experimental debriefing is now considered an important ethical consideration to ensure that participants are not harmed in any way by their experience in the experiment. Those in Bardo did conduct debriefing sessions. There were several years after the they were several years after the Stanford prison experiment. By that time, numerous details were forgotten. Nonetheless, many participants reported that they experienced no long-lasting effects. Uh, current standards specify that the debriefing process should occur as soon as possible to assess what psychological harm, if any, may have been done to rehabilitate, uh, yeah, rehabilitate participants if necessary. If there, are unav- if there is an unavoidable delay in the debri- debriefing, the researcher is obligated to take steps to minimize harm. With the results of the experiment, uh, with how the ex- results of the experiment had ended, there were there have been some stir in ethical consequences involving the experiment. This study received much criticism with a lack of full consent from the participants, with the knowledge from Zimbardo that himself uh, he himself could not have predicted how the experiment would have turned out to be. With the participants playing roles of prisoners and guards, there's no certain fact that they would get help the help they needed in the process of this study. Zimbardo has come out to explain uh, that he himself never thought this experiment would conclude how it did. So that is it for the Stanford Prison Experiment. I just thought that was pretty um, pretty interesting because it's I, I've never heard about it until I I think I saw an article about it somewhere. I forget where it was. But yeah, I just thought it was pretty uh, interesting and wanted to share it with y'all. Sorry, I was kind of stumbling over my words at the end. That was a lot to read there. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening. Uh, next week, it'll be back to normal. Uh, two hosts, more more uh, banter and funny talk. But yeah, so I will leave you with that. I hope you all have a good week and we'll see you next time. Yeah.